This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was so lame. For real? That's what you got for me? That's how you're coming at me? Come on. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. We are starting the Gospel of Matthew today, which I'm very excited about for many reasons. We've studied through, as a church, over the past five years, I believe we've gone through Luke, um, John, Mark, and we're going to be finishing the fourth gospel. Not today, but it'll take some time, but we'll get through it. Also, before we, want, before we get started, I want to um, lift up a brother, Dustin, part of our fellowship. His sister's in a coma right now in Colorado. Um, she does not know the Lord. So that's the main thing that, that we want to take before the Lord is that physical healing is great, but you know, without the saving of your soul, it doesn't mean anything. So let's go ahead and lift her up now before we get into our study. Father, we thank you for Nicole and that you knit her together in her mother's womb and that you know her inside out. And whatever is happening right now, Lord, we pray for a realization that she cannot get through this life without you. You bring people into her life to speak to her, that you'd give her ears to hear even in this coma and that you'd send people there to share your love with her and to speak your word to her in her ear. And whether she wakes up or whatever happens, Lord, that she would come to a place in her own heart of surrenderance and submittance and, and forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus Christ. Comfort Dustin, Lord, and his family and allow them to be in the best place they can be while all these things transpire, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> also, before we get started in the Gospel of Matthew, I want to remind you about our service last week. You guys remember what we talked about last week? Service, service. thank you. Serving in the church, we have a, a healthy, growing church, and, and that's not just numerically. Hopefully, we will be growing and maturing as believers. We'll be, we'll be growing up in the faith, and I see that happening with many people as well. And part of what you can do as you're growing up in the faith is getting plugged into the body that God's called you to be a part of. So um, we're going to go through all 20 of those slides again right now. No, just kidding. We went through a bunch of slides last week. If you weren't here, you don't get the joke. So just, just laugh. <clears throat> just know that we have needs. There's a sign-up sheet at the information station. We never did a service like that before. I've never had to, you know, do this, but, but we need help in kids' ministry. We need help with some of the other ministries in the church. And we would love to you to get connected to the place that God has you in his body. That's where you are. I don't ever want it to be a thing where we are just coming to attend church because we call ourselves Christians. You guys know what I mean? 
Have you ever gone through seasons where you're just going to church because you know that you're supposed to? That is not why God saved you. Do you know why God saved you? Does anybody here know? You guys know because we talk about it all the time. God wants to have a relationship with you. God let his son, led his son to die on the cross to reconcile you to himself. Not so that we can do niceties on Sunday. Not so that we can have potlucks so that we can know him, we can grow in our knowledge with, of him and, and, and we would be able to look the way that he desires us to look like his son Jesus by loving one another like we shared last week. So with that in mind, check out the information station and engage, be part of the body that God has called you to be. <clears throat> Gospel of Matthew I like, to, I like to do series and I like to have the big picture for things. So I like to, uh, you know, some pastors and teachers, and this is fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but they like to get the microscope and they like to look deep into things. They like to take one or two verses and, and spend the whole time focusing on that. And that's, that's good and well. But over the years, as I've taught the Bible, I've really valued and seen the benefit of taking a step back and looking at the big picture seeing how everything ties together. That's very important for us. So uh, we're gonna do that with the gospel of Matthew and we're gonna do it taking a step back and looking and, and the thread that we see throughout all of the gospel of Matthew is that Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of God. So the title of today's, or the title of the series through the book of Matthew is Forsaken Kingdom. And we'll get into why that's the title, but but that's the thread that we see throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Today's Matthew chapter one title is Every Man His Own King. We're gonna talk about that in a while. But one of the things that I really love about the Gospels is that there's four of them. We're finishing the fourth one that we've gone through together. Um, we're, we're, we're starting the fourth one today and each one has its own flavor. You guys know what I'm saying? You can tell that somebody else wrote each one. It's given from a different perspective. And, and some critics say, hey, why is there four gospels and why are they different in some cases? It's because you look at things from a different perspective than other people. How many of you have been married for a long time and, and you're telling somebody a story and you're excited about it and your spouse says, that's not how it happened. <laughs> I'm like, stop being contrary. This is a good story from my perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong or that it's false. It's just different. And these four guys, they had these things come out in the way they communicated their experience in living with Jesus. They communicated a little differently. And I love that about the Bible. I love that God doesn't rob us of our own personality. You're created to be the person that you are. And it's good. And you can embrace that. Mark for the gospel of Mark, was a young man. Some believe he was one of the youngest of the disciples that walked with Jesus when he was on the earth. And when we go through the gospel of Mark, I heard a friend say this not too long ago. It's almost like you're reading a comic book written by this young guy. It's all action immediately. Pow, kapow, kazam. All these miracles are happening. And, and it's grouped in these little sections. And unless you look, take the section itself and look, it almost makes like he's all over the place, but it all has to do with the same point he's trying to communicate. Mark, I think this last time that we studied through the gospel of Mark, Mark was close to becoming my favorite gospel because of the way that he communicated was so radical for me. John was a fisherman. 
You guys know that? John, who wrote the gospel of John, was a fisherman who loved people. If there's one thing that you could say about John is he loved people. John loved Jesus, and you know what? Jesus loved him. The Bible tells us that, that John is the disciple that Jesus loved. If we look at his gospel and we go through the whole thing, what's the one thing that really stands out over and over and over again? Love. He's always talking about love. I mean, he's hanging out, chilling on Jesus, leaning on him. He's the one that tells the story that we looked at in John chapter 13 last week about service. And he concludes with what Jesus is saying, what you have seen me do, do to others because you are going to be known for your love. And a new command I give to you, love one another through service, by serving one another. Love one another. That was John. And you could see his heart in loving people through his gospel. Luke was a doctor. And we can even tell that by the way he wrote the gospel of Luke. Very meticulous, very detailed, very precise. What do you think Luke's gospel really emphasizes? This is cool. He's a doctor. What does Luke really emphasize? Humanity and the humanity of Jesus. Over and over and over again, he calls him the son of man. And it's beautiful how the, 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 the little physician gives the great physician the credit that he deserves and communicates it to us in that way. Now, Matthew, Matthew, Forsaking Kingdom series, what did Matthew do for a living? I got some treats in my back pocket. Just kidding, I don't got any. What did Matthew do for a living? He was a tax collector. Matthew had given up on his heritage. In the eyes of most Jews, he had forsaken his kingdom right? They couldn't stand tax collectors. You didn't have faith in the state if you sided with the Romans. And Matthew got to the point in his life where he, he, he didn't know what was happening in his country anymore. And we don't know to what degree he didn't believe, but, but he was willing to take a profession that was contrary to what the promises of God and the nation of Israel were until he met a man who spoke truth, whose name was Jesus. And the tax collector man who had forsaken this, the, the, the country, his heritage that he was a part of, has his heart fire rekindled through the teaching, ministry, and life of no one other than Jesus Christ. And he says, you, you Matthew, you follow me. And then Jesus caused him to forsake yet another kingdom alliance that he had with Rome. What caught his attention about Jesus was that he was of another kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. And that's what Matthew wants to communicate to us. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew. Hey guys, there's a time that's coming where the end of the world is gonna be getting closer and kingdom will rise against kingdom and nation will rise against nation. It's pretty incredible how what we're going through right now in the world is that people are so, so serious about identifying who they're with and who they're against, what their nationality is. 
You know, they, we have these crazy DNA tests where you spit in a little tube and send it away and they'll break down all the different places you're from. We cannot identify more with any kingdom on this earth as believers than we can in the kingdom of God. And to the point where we start to, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Really, the heart is in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. I have it up on the screen for you here. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still getting over this cold. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, history repeats itself. There's no surprise. Nothing's happening today that didn't happen before. But I would say now people are treating their lives like they are their own kings. They are their own queens. They hold absolute authority over themselves and nobody else has that authority over them. Is that, would you agree with me that that's how people live? That's how people act? No one judge me, but God, yeah, you should be scared to say that, not puffing your chest up in the sky. That's why the title of today's message is Every Man is His Own King. Every woman's her own queen. Every person is only under their own authority. People are into building their own kingdoms. People are into building their empires. But there's one that we are to submit ourselves to that's not our own, and it's God's. Matthew wants to bring this to our remembrance, that our calling is not individual, separate, from what God's intentions are. It's connected to. And thank God that I can, I can be a servant in his kingdom and that I can say, my king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I don't want to take that place in my life. The gospel of Matthew over and over and over again talks about finances, talks about marriage, talks about your job, talks about everything that we would look at in our lives and try to fit our kingdom around. And adjusts the world's perspective on that back to how we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And if you don't understand, if you've never understood or you are, you are curious about what this whole kingdom of God theme thing means, have you ever thought about that? What is kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is you being submitted to the rightful king, not to the pretender king, you, yourself. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. How we're going to start the gospel of Matthew this morning, and I'm going to pray again for this study here in a second. If you're not there already, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to jump all the way to verse 17 first, and then we're going to back up and go through verse 1. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> God, you are so good to us. You are so compassionate and faithful and loving. And, and what we have inherited being part of your family and part of your kingdom is much, much, much greater than we could ever deserve. 
God, you've poured out your mercy on us. It's new every morning. We get to experience your faithfulness and you care so greatly for us that we don't have to worry about tomorrow and we can let tomorrow worry about itself. God, we pray that, that we would remove ourselves from the throne, that we would remove ourselves from our own selfish ambitions, trying to build our own kingdom, trying to find our own happiness, trying to figure out what brings satisfaction because we know that you and you alone are the one that gives satisfaction. So Father, with your word today, we pray that you'd sow seeds into our hearts that would bear fruit in the future, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Starting in chapter one, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now this is interesting. We have three sections of generations. It's 14 in each, which will add up to, you know, whatever. I don't do math. It's not my job. I'm a Bible teacher, okay? But, but you know what, what uh, 14 is significant in Hebrew because the word 14 in Hebrew translates to Messiah. And each 14 section segment we have, we see that there is some significance to it. But, but what's even more significant is, is what's, a, what's a very logical way for you to get to the number of 14 if you, if you add two numbers together? Seven, seven and seven is 14, Right. And four, uh, seven is an important number because it's in the Bible we see it's the number of, does anybody know? Completion. Rest. On the seventh day, God completed the work of creating the heavens and the earth and he, and he rested and he wants us to rest. Now look at this. We have um, seven, seven, 14 times three, which would mean how many sevens do we have if we break that down? Six. You guys are quick. Last service, I had to tell them, and then I had to write it down first. I'm like, wait a minute. Six, which means that if Jesus completed the sixth going into the New Testament, the new covenant, Matthew was writing to the seventh, seven, which if seven's the number of completion, right, in wholeness, what's the seventh seven? <laughs> He said, you guys are supposed to be in this season of rest. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I did not come to burden people. I came to give rest. And, and, and he's saying, you guys are in that generation in the kingdom of God has come and you can receive and understand what rest from God really looks like. Another thing that I like to do when I read through Matthew specifically Matthew, sometimes with the other gospels, but I'd like to flip over a couple pages to the left and read the last paragraph of the Old Testament as I get into the New Testament. It gives me some good perspective, and I think it's going to give us some good perspective this morning. So flip a couple pages over to your left, and let's read what, what Malachi, or what God has to say through Malachi. <clears throat> Chapter four, verse four. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. What did Jesus do? 
Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? The last chapter of the last book of the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant, is to remember the law. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember the judgments that were given to you. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. You know, in a few chapters, Jesus is going to say, hey, if you guys can't receive this, it's cool, I get it, but you should receive it because this is the truth. uh, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Elijah is going to return. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come (coughs) and strike the earth with a curse in spite of the people disobeying God and being in rebellion against him, God provided a way. God provided his son. God still ushered in his kingdom. You look over and over again as Jesus is walking on the earth and he's talking to these people. Like we we talked about last week with the washing of the disciples' feet. He knew everybody. And the stuff that he had to put up with It's like, you are a wicked and perverse generation. (laughs) Why don't you guys see? This is the fulfillment of God's promises to you. They were still in that rebellious state, yet God still pursued them in love. And I want you guys to know this morning that the only reason you're sitting here, the only reason that you came here this morning is because God passionately pursued you with his love. And you can try to be in rebellion and you can try to run away and you can try to do your own thing and you can sit on your own throne and try to build your own kingdom, but this is the reality. You're going to fail, it's going to be miserable and you're not gonna find peace and satisfaction till you're reconciled to God and have a right relationship with him. And that's what his heart is for you in love. I can do my own thing. No, you can't do your own thing. You're gonna get yourself in trouble. Now, what we're gonna do is going through this genealogy, it'd take too long to go through every single name, but we're gonna do it anyway. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do it. We can't. We don't have enough time to go through every single name. So we're gonna go through, we're gonna highlight certain people and talk about them who looked forward to or were connected more to the kingdom of God than their own personal kingdom and how that affected their lives. Chapter one, verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah and Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. Number one, we see Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons. And you are one of them. And so am I. So let's, let's praise the Lord. You guys know it. Good job. 
Abraham is the father of the faith, the person that God sanctified to use to usher in his kingdom. And the thing that is crazy about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight through 10, let's look at it, read it on the screen here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was a dude. He was a bro. And, and when, when you see somebody who, who hears God tell them, hey, I want you to go away from your father's household, go away from your country, go away from everything that you know, everything about that you're comfortable in to a place that I'm going to give you as an inheritance. And he gets up and takes his family and goes, that's pretty remarkable. Because I know what you, you would do. You'd be like, I'm not going until you tell me where I'm going, Lord. I'll never forget the, the, uh, when I was going, moving over to Europe and um, God provided miraculously for me to go there. It's a long story. We can't get into it. But I remember my words to this day. Somebody, uh, somebody spoke over my life that I was going over to Europe in direct disobedience to God. That's what they spoke over my life. And I'm like, I don't receive that because I know God's telling me to go to Europe to, to be a missionary. And there was a struggle, you know, you know, right before I was supposed to go, I was struggling with, with just, you know, moving and, and doing all those things. And, and I said, God, I don't know if you really want me to go. I mean, I'm going in obedience, but I'm not really confident that I'm supposed to go until I, my foot steps onto that plane. I had such a severe lack of faith. My job ended that Friday. I got late. Everybody got laid off. The job finished. Like when I say the job finished, I didn't quit. Like we were working construction. I was a teamster in the Teamsters Union driving a water truck and the job ended on Friday for everybody. I packed my bags on Saturday. No, I got my, I got my passport in the mail on Saturday. Didn't know if I was gonna, it was gonna come in time. Got my passport in the mail on Saturday packed my bags, bought my plane ticket, and flew out on Sunday. Back then, they had this thing called, I think, it, what was it called? It was Air Hitch. You guys ever heard of that before? It was like hitchhiking on airplanes. I got a, a ticket from Las Vegas to Paris for 300 bucks the same day. Flew there, took a train from Paris to Budapest, Hungary, to go to Bible college. And that's when I started to see my kingdom fall and God start to allow me to understand what it meant to be part of his kingdom. And that time that I was there, the first season into the second season that I was there was some of the most difficult days of my life. I remember crying myself to sleep. I remember going out into the forest. There was this big rock and I would go out into the forest and I would just sit on this rock and I would just cry. I didn't understand why my life was so, so difficult. I was suffering with depression. I mean, I was at Bible college. Everything was supposed to be fine, right? Ring by Springer, your money back. But my life wasn't great, and I was, I was having a difficulty. And God spoke a word to me, and he said, Tim, you can fall on the rock and be broken, or you can let the rock fall on you and be ground to dust. 
The choice is yours. Which would you like? I'm dismantling your personal kingdom. And it's necessary to build you back up into the man that I want you to be, not who you want to be. And over and over and over again in that season, God would continue to bring back this verse to my mind over and over and over again. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. You want it the other way around. You want all these things on your terms, how you want them in your timing and it's not gonna happen. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and everything's gonna work out fine. Oh, but God, it's so hard to... Let go of the things that are so important to me. You guys find that it's difficult for you to let go of some things that, that, that God has called you to let go of? He says, I don't want you to hold on to that anymore. I have better things in store. For no, you don't, God. You don't know how much I care about that thing. He has better things in store for you. I'll never forget this, this moment, this memory in my mind. Um, I, was, I was in the chapel in, in the Bible college building. And I had all, all the lights were turned off. Everybody was doing other things, you know, I don't know where they were, but <clears throat> I was up in the chapel and I moved some, some of the rows of the chairs to have an area. And I was literally on my face, weeping, crying out to God, help me get through this season. I don't know what's going on. I'm troubled, God, I need you. And as I was praying, I heard the door open. It's big, it's a big sanctuary. I heard the door open, somebody come in. I heard footsteps going up on the stage. And I peeked around the chair and looked at who was going up on the stage. There was Grace Chadwick going up on stage to go sit down behind the keyboard. I, had, I was major crushing on Grace Chadwick, man. This girl, she was it. And I did not have the, uh, I didn't have the release from the Lord to talk to her. I was, I was laying aside the first year of Bible college and I wasn't gonna share with her how I felt. We were just friends. We were friendly. I was very friendly toward her. <laughs> she sat down at the piano after I just prayed this prayer and she started to play this song. Maybe you know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, and it was almost like my, my voice is, usually it's really pretty, but right now I see. <laughs> It was almost av. It, it almost was as if, in fact, it probably was. It it was God telling me, "This is what I have for you in your future, dummy." If you listen to the lyrics of the song, Tim, I have better things in store for you than you have for yourself. Now stop being about your kingdom and take steps of faith to a land, to an inheritance. I'm calling you to but you cannot receive it yet. And the crazy thing about Abraham is in that verse we see, he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Have you ever stepped out in faith? Not know, I don't know where I'm going, but I know that God's going to lead me and give me the direction I need. And he never saw it. Think about that. Abraham dwelt in the land of promise, but he never received it. His son received it, right? No, Isaac received it. He didn't. Jacob, nope. They were all sojourners in the land of promise. They were living in the promised land before the culmination of the promise came to pass. And you know that God, that's what God wants you to do now. He wants you to lay hold of his promises that he has towards you. 
to be confident in them that he's given them to you, to live in them even when you don't see them coming to fruition before your eyes. Does that make sense? Stop looking at things that, 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 that aren't part of what God's plan is for your life. Stop giving yourself to people that God never intended for you to give yourself to because he has something better for you. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Isaac was a sojourner like his father. He moved around, did not identify with any country, but he trusted God for the promise that he had started, with, that God had started with his parents. He trusted God and he's still, what's he doing? Wandering around. I'm a wanderer. I don't know how the rest of that song goes, but I go round and round and round. Yeah, you know that song, right? Jacob moved around also. He was also a sojourner, a mover, also trusting the promise of God that he had made to his father, that God had made to his father and also applied to his family. His relationship with God was so intense that he wrestled with God and won. <laughs> you guys like that? This is where we come to the, we come to the point of, of we, we don't want to be people that just go to church on Sunday because we go to church on Sunday. That's what we do. We want to identify with Jacob. We want to be pursuing God to the point where if we get in a wrestling match with him, you're going to win. <laughs> And what did, what did he win? He won the inheritance. His name changed to Israel. And he got to see God. He got to know God on an intimate level that, that, he, that he never had before. And this is the thing that I love about the patriarchs in the Old Testament in Genesis. I absolutely love it. Each one of the sons, each one of the men, as they were getting older and, and more were being born, there's the first part of the story where it says, the God of my father, Isaac will say, the God of my father, Jacob will say, the God of my father, who's he talking about? The God of his father, Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac, the God of my father. There was a disconnect, right? And then there's a point in every single one of their lives where they say, my God and father. There's that transition that it's not a faith that you see or that you say, but it's a faith that you exercise because you know that it's fact, and that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to not be a, a tender, a pretender. He wants to engage you so that you can grow, so that you can know who he is, so that you can produce fruit in your life. Fruit is good, good things. <coughs> Excuse me. Judah. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now Judah's in this list. He, he also had made some mistakes, but um, God was going to use him through his line to bring the Messiah. Judah's here, obviously, and the other 11 aren't because Judah was the chosen tribe that was going to bear the Messiah. Judah also was a wanderer who ended up no... Uh, no other place than, where did Judah end up? Egypt. Egypt. The famine happened. Joseph had risen through the ranks in, in, in Egypt. And there was divine provision that God had set aside for, for uh, his relatives. And they all came and they dwelt there in Egypt, the beginning of their tumultuous hundreds of years there in Egypt. 
Judah was married to Tamar. Tamar is the first woman that we see in the list of five that we're going to look at, these very special, precious women to God. These five women, uh, Tamar is the first. Judah had three sons. Tamar married one of Judah's sons, but he was wicked and died. Long story, very complicated. We don't want to get into it this morning. Judah had three sons, and he did not honor his promise to Tamar after her first son died by producing an heir through one of her other sons. Many years go by. Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and tricks Judah into sleeping with her and then gets pregnant and has twins. She did what she felt was, well, what was rightly obligated to her. We have this guy who's not doing what he's supposed to do and this girl who's doing things that are quite questionable, maybe. <laughs> but our, our first snapshot, shot, our first picture of God using broken people to bring salvation to the world. God using broken people to deliver salvation. You are broken people. With all due respect, I love you, but, but you're broken and you're wicked. And I know that because I'm broken. And by the grace of God in submitting to him and allowing me to be part of his kingdom, he uses us as broken people to demonstrate his glory. You guys ever met any uh, Pharisees or Sadducees? Because they're still alive and well today. They're not there just in Jesus's time. They're self-righteous religious people who look down their nose at you and say, you are rotten and, and not worthy to be considered a child of God. And I, and I say, you're absolutely right. But Jesus said, you're worse than I am. God wants to use broken people. And he does over and over and over again. Tamar is our first example of the mercy of God being demonstrated to a woman who needed him. Now, this is really good. This next few verses, these next few names, they all, uh, you see the compassion of God and the great love of God, okay? Tamar begot Perez and begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminabad and Aminabad begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon was a young man when they left Egypt and was the generation which was to inherit the promised land. You remember the whole generation of the older people that fell, that died in the wilderness? Salmon was one of those guys that was young in Egypt, but then he was gonna go in to receive the promise of the promised land. Interesting, isn't it? Salmon's nickname was Pinky. He didn't like it much. He always responded, come on guys, it's Salmon. I'm so glad that you guys got that so quickly because I think it took the first service a second. <laughs> There's, it doesn't say that anywhere. That was totally made up, by the way. And Salmon is a cool guy. I really like Salmon. Salmon's a cool guy because here's this young guy going into the promised land and the first town that they defeat is what? How many Bible, Bible teacher learners know, know what the answer is? Jericho, right? Jericho. And how did they get Jericho? How did they get the, inf the inside scoop, the info about, about Jericho? That the spies were sent in and there was a woman named Rahab. Salmon, as the first young generation going into the promised land, sees this woman, Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho and says, you know what? 
Will you marry me? Salmon marries this woman, and you see the story of grace take a turn that is going to affect their family for generations to the point of Jesus Christ. It's a love story that is so precious, a whole book in the Old Testament was written about it. Let's read on and see what it is. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed and Ruth by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Salmon begot David the king. Rahab's son, Rahab was a harlot who hid the, the Jewish spies. Rahab had a son named Boaz, and Boaz took Ruth as his wife. She was married to Naomi's son and was a foreigner. Boaz had mercy on Ruth, just like he saw the people do with his mother, Rahab. How many of you guys have made that connection before? Did you you realize that? That Rahab the harlot's son married Ruth, Naomi's daughter, who was a foreigner and, and was really rejected. She did something interesting. Ruth forsook her kingdom after her husband died and went with Naomi. And and she said to Naomi, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your country will be my country. And and she was defiled. She was a foreign woman. How is she gonna get married? Nobody's gonna want her. And Boaz said, hey, you know what? My mom went through a similar thing. And you know what? I like you and I wanna marry you. And not only did he marry her, but he, he... jumped through hoops to do it. He made it possible so that they could be married. And the love story is so grand. If you want to read it in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, this is just another little snippet in the picture going to the birth of Jesus Christ in his lineage. And the people that were involved in the process are remarkable. Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David the king. David, King David. David was the best king the nation of Israel ever had. He was a king of the people. He was a great man, but he had his shortcomings. And as much as we look at his previous heritage and and the grace and compassion and love, there's people who make mistakes too. David made some pretty big mistakes. If we read into the next section, David the king begot Solomon by uh, by her who had been the wife of Uriah doesn't even give us her name. We know that that it's uh, um, Bathsheba. It says the wife of Uriah. And I believe it's in there for that purpose to to remind us what David did. And there's some people believe, I wouldn't go this far, but there's some scholars that believe that that Uriah the Hittite, you can find names that are linked together. And and, uh, Uriah was either directly related to or a descendant of one of David's mighty men. So not only did David look out from his portico and see a woman bathing and be like, yo, sweet goodness, come up here and hang out with me. I don't know where that came from. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> he didn't just see a beautiful woman and want to have her. There was some kind of, now, I don't know if that's true, but if it is, it makes the, the whole thing even more tragic and terrible. Nonetheless, God was able to use it. God was able to redeem it. David could have 
the, the, Jesus Christ could have come through one of David's other wives. Now, that's a complicated thing to say, and I don't want to really get into it right now. We could talk about it another time. But God chose Bathsheba. And, and David's sin did not hinder Bathsheba's relationship with God in the way that he wanted to use her in the future. Solomon begat, <clears throat> begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, and we have a few other names here. We're going to skip down to verse 10 because we already read these. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. <coughs> Excuse me. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Jeconiah he and his whole royal household were exiled to Babylon in the season <clears throat> that God had to bring discipline on the nation of Israel. Think about this. He's an exiled king that does not lose his status as king. Because remember, like with Daniel, that those people, the royalty that they took, they, they, they delivered them to Babylon and, and they still treated them differently than the other people. He remained intact, but he wasn't, obviously he wasn't the king anymore, but, but he, we know that that's who he was. He and his whole household was taken into captivity. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheniel, and Sheniel begot Zerubbabel. Sheniel was uh, born in Babylon. So you see that the line is still continuing. And then we have, uh, after him, Zerubbabel. And I never realized this before. I'm familiar with Zerubbabel, right? He's a pretty, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a dude. We know him, right? But I never realized before that Zerubbabel, and I looked at the name this time as I was preparing, I said, it says Zerubbabel. And I was like, I wonder why it's Zerubbabel, like Babylon. And I was like, huh, interesting. So I looked it up, right? And it's Zerubbabel means sown in Babel or Babylon or conceived. His name as the king, was the one that was conceived or born in Babylon. He's the one that takes the first group of Jews back to Jerusalem. And not only does he take the first group of Jews back to Jerusalem, but he lays the foundation of the temple as they rebuild the city. He who was sown in Babylon. This doesn't get lost. God is in the business of details. He knows what he's doing. <clears throat> Zerubbabel begot Abiad, begot Eliakim, and then we'll go down to verse 15. Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Matan, Matan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, if you look at this list with me really quick, you look over to on the, the, the last set, the last two generations, two sets of seven, right? And when you get past... Zerubbabel, uh, you're, you know, it gets a little, a little gray area. And then the, the good group of those names, we don't even know who they were. There's not really many references, if any, at all. But what we see is we see a picture of Zerubbabel, a guy who, who was brought back from captivity, who was an exile, who's being restored to God's kingdom for all intents and purposes, right? And then we get down to who we do know, Joseph. You have an exiled returning king and then jo Joseph. What was Joseph? What did he do? What did Joseph do? He was a carpenter. And we see God using all different kinds of people 
to bring the king of kings, even just regular people like you and me. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be mighty. I used to hear people say things like, man, if, if uh, you know, Michael Jackson got saved, man, imagine how many people will get saved. That's not how it works. Like this isn't like a fan club. God uses regular people. In fact, the Bible says that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I can identify with the foolish person or as a foolish person because I'd like to be used by God. We have this guy, Joseph, who is just a, he's a, he's a carpenter. And then Mary, this young girl who's caught up in scandal. She's a baby. And God says, I want to use you to demonstrate my glory. And then in closing, let's, let's consider the five women that God used. Tamar, who had to trick her father-in-law to sleep with her to continue her line. Rahab, who was a harlot. Ruth, a foreigner. Bathsheba, an adulteress. Because whether she liked it or not, she, you know, she partook with David. And then we have Mary, sweet little Mary. You see the, 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 the wide range of people that God uses. And, and I would say to you today that God intends to use your life as well. I can say that confidently. I know because I've seen it over and over and over again. But the question is right now, as you take steps forward in life on a daily basis, are you going to remain on the throne and in control? Are you going to get off the throne and give it to who it truly belongs to, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so that you can see those miracles happen in your life? Because you can't do it yourself. You can't work it out. You can't conjure it up. God is the one that's going to do it for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to be part of this story, this love story that you've called us by name and <clears throat> we get to be subjects in your kingdom and, and people would think that in a negative way. I don't want to be a subject of anybody. I'm not anybody's subject. God, we get to be your subjects. We get to see you work. We get to see miracles. We get to see how you bring beauty from ashes. Father, thank you for your word to us today. This introduction into the Gospel of Matthew, written by a man who had seen kingdoms come and go, had identified with different kingdoms and then unidentified with them because he truly found the answer with allowing you to have the throne and the kingdom of God to rule and reign in his life. Thank you, Father. While you guys are all sitting here today, I want to give you an opportunity. I feel the Holy Spirit's stirring and moving in this place today. Not that he doesn't in times past, but this is different. If you're sitting here and, and you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he bled, died, was buried, and rose again from the grave for you, for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can have a relationship with God the Father. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If you want to experience what abundant life looks like, if you want to experience what satisfaction in life looks like, if you want to better understand what it means to be part of God's kingdom, while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to pray with you. Raise your hand up high so that I can see it now so that we can pray together. I see your hand. Anybody else? 
Feel the Holy Spirit moving. I see your hands. God bless you guys. Father God, I cry out to you for these people. And it doesn't matter about heads or hands. What matters is heart. And God, their hearts are in a place of receiving forgiveness for their sins to pursue a right relationship with you. And your word says that when they take this step, when they, when they confess that Jesus is Lord, that they will be saved and you will give them the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would baptize them in the Holy Spirit, that you would fill them to overflowing and that they would see what it means to not just be part of your family, but to be part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you guys another opportunity. If you could still remain in an attitude of prayer, the food's not going anywhere. If your heart has been stirred because you know, and I say this in love because I've done it before too, right? You know that you're on the throne and you know I'm talking to you and you've been on the throne for a long time and it's time to step off the throne. It's time to concede the place where it truly belongs to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you submit yourself to him and you seek first his kingdom and righteousness, all those other things are gonna be added to you. Stop worrying about them. So if, you, that, if that's you this morning, I wanna pray for you. Raise your hand up. I told you I can identify with you. If you're sitting on the throne and want control, but you wanna give it up, raise your hand. I'm gonna pray. I see your hands, guys. Anybody else? Father, I lift up these who in truth have said and shown the place that their heart's in, that they desire to be in control, but they don't want to be. And sometimes, Lord, it can be so difficult for us to fall on the rock and be broken. But we don't want to let the, the rock fall on us. So we choose to submit our hearts to you. We choose life, you on our throne so that we can see the glory of your kingdom come to pass and all these things being added unto us. Bless them, Lord. Give them a fruitful, incredible week through this confession. Be glorified through their decision. God, we love you and we're so excited to see the things that you have for store, in store for us in the future. Bless the food that we're about to take uh, partake in. Bless the fellowship. May we love one another in service, God, like you demonstrated, you exemplified to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.